Hey everyone, welcome to Unpacking Perspectives. I'm your host, Nicole Davison, and today's episode is actually a very personal one. It's for anyone that wants to understand what it's like to walk in the shoes of a first responder. Today's for the first responder that struggles with traumas that we could never possibly imagine. Today is for the first responder's partner who watches their spouse and wonders if they will ever heal from the trauma that they've endured. Today is also for the college students considering a career in law enforcement to help others, or maybe the college students whose family member works in law enforcement. Today's also for the friends of a law enforcement officer or spouse that wants to know how to support their friend. Today, I am going to be talking about a very personal perspective within a career that has impacted my own life. And it isn't even my career. It's my husband's career. One that he began over 16 years ago and one that while I could never have imagined being prouder, I also never could have imagined how much it would have impacted my own life and my own career decisions. I felt it important to share as None of this was ever really on my radar when we began this journey as a law enforcement family, and no one family is the same. This is simply my perspective, but I think it's important to share. This episode is simply a perspective that I wanted to take you along so that you could see how much it might impact not only the first responder, but their family and their children and their friends and their community. You know, this is a life that has not always been easy, but I know we're meant for it. And I know that it's important. This is part of my husband's career that you're not going to hear in the police officer job description. This is a journey that we're still traveling, but I recently saw a side of my husband that has not only left me feeling extreme pride, if that's even possible, because I've always been really proud of him, but I truly believe that it can help others. You know, I'm able to share this with his approval, of course, because many of you know he's, he's a very private man. There's a human side of law enforcement that most would never anticipate or imagine. And how could they if they haven't walked the same path? There are careers that change us from the core of who we are. And sometimes the traumatic nature of the day-to-day occurrences, they might sneak up on someone with very little notice. Never to minimize the stresses of someone else's life or career. This is simply a perspective that I've began to realize many are not aware of. For anyone thinking about going into this line of work, be prepared. Learn how to cope. When you can figure out that balance that might offer a foundation of support, it can be pretty amazing. And that desire to make a difference and help others, it'll return tenfold. I just like to add, I'm obviously not a licensed clinician, and by no means is this episode designed to replace any type of professional counseling. I just wanted to share it because it's pretty amazing. So my husband, he recently self-published a book of poetry. Yes, poetry. It's titled Another Side of Accountability, and it's dedicated to those serving as first responders. My goal for today is to illustrate that there is hope and healing. I'm going to be reading some excerpts of his writings. And you're, you know, you're actually going to hear pages wrestling at some point because I have his book in front of me. And, you know, throughout the course of this episode, I'm going to choose certain pieces that I really feel are important to share. When my husband started his career in law enforcement, I honestly, I was just a proud wife knowing he was off helping people. I remember watching his cruiser leave in the driveway and just think, look at him making a difference. Back then, you never heard about police accountability. I was just beaming. And while I had my fears, I knew that he was doing what he was meant to do. 
I remember when he was promoted to detective, I thought, wow, he's, he's going to be off the road. I felt, I felt relief. You know, no one prepares you for the fears that you go through. For example, I was more worried about him in the middle of a snowstorm than I was if he was at a traffic stop. And obviously it's very different now, but once he made detective, I just, I don't know. I, I thought he'd be safer. My husband is a very private man. He is a man of honor. After graduating from the United States Naval Academy, he then went on to serve in the United States Marine Corps. He left the Marine Corps in 1999 and began a career in the corporate world, which is where we met. When I first met my husband, I was I was simply smitten. You know, he was he was the strong silent type. I remember being so enamored by his reserved nature and I'd often say he's a man of few words. I always felt that, you know, we balanced each other out, but his humor it was something that if you were lucky enough to experience, it would help you understand even more of an, what an incredible man he is. You know, funny that one of the things that I fell in love with was his humor. And yet at times throughout our 20 years of marriage, it's one of the biggest thing that I've often missed. This is part of why I wanted to share this story and welcome you into a pretty incredible transformation. You know, through 20 years of marriage, one can only imagine the life experiences you go through together. Goodness, I think back over these decades, and if I took you along our timeline, you might feel as breathless as I thinking back over these years. But everyone has stuff, right? Only a few years after we got married, I had already settled into my new career as a career counselor. I literally landed my dream job and felt at the time I could stay there forever. My husband had been working in corporate as a business unit director and After 9-11, a lot had been shifting in the workforce. And at at some point, I remember him saying to me, he was thinking about exploring the state police. Now, knowing my husband after we talked about it and weighed the pros and cons of making such a change, I knew in my heart it was the path he was meant to take. I remember at one point saying to him as he wrestled with the decision, you're meant for bigger things. Thinking back, I don't know why I said that, but frankly, over these years in corporate, I During that time, I just felt like he was wilting. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. I mean, he loved the people that he worked with. I knew that he was making a huge difference in the organizations that he led. He had a great job. I mean, it was really, he really had a good job. But I truly felt in my heart that he was meant meant for more. His purpose was different. So here we are 16 years in, almost 17. And looking back over his career trajectory in our life, honestly leaves me breathless. Now, he began his career as a trooper on patrol at one of the busiest interstates in the Northeast. And after a few years, he was promoted to detective in the major crimes unit. That was one month before our only son was born. And in September of 2009, the day our son was born, I watched my husband on the phone in the corner of the hospital room as his first homicide investigation was unfolding, literally less than a mile from our hospital location in New Haven, Connecticut. My very first Mother's Day as a mom, he was called out at 6.30 in the morning, responding to a crime scene that would later be reported as the death of a mother of two. I remember thinking that morning, two children might be finding out on Mother's Day of the loss of their own mom. Having lost my own mom at 15 years old, I held that case close to my heart for years. That was a bittersweet experience as the buildup to my own experience on Mother's Day. The night before our son was baptized, my husband was at a crime scene, and I awoke that morning wondering if he would even make it to the church. He made it by minutes. That was only the first year of our life as parents. 
I remember moments of sheer panic after hearing his phone ring, thinking, okay, we can do this. We got this. It's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. That was my coping. Everything's fine. We're okay. It's going to be okay. How many of you can relate to that? I'm sure many of you. Within five years, he was promoted to sergeant and continued to rise through the ranks of lieutenant and now captain. He has been through events that some only hear about on the news and that some only watch on television. I remember when our son was little, if my husband had a call out, I would scour the news after he left just to have an idea. He never spoke of his cases or call outs, only to let me know where he might be. And on occasion, he'd send me a quick text to let me know how late he might be. On the morning of December 12th, 2014, as the tragic events began to unfold in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, I received a text that simply said, I won't be home for a while. I then found myself scouring news footage to catch a glimpse of him on the local news, all while trying to plan my own grandmother's funeral that would be taking me out of state that week. Our son was three years old at the time. Years later, when our son started kindergarten, as we attended our first open house as parents, I remember sitting in his classroom alongside my husband, who seemed oddly distracted. He was looking around the room, and when we finished listening to the presentation and headed down to check out the art room, he went the other way. I looked back and I watched him checking the doors and the windows at the other end of the hall. He shared with me later that night that it had been the first time he had been in in an elementary school since the Sandy Hook tragedy. Some might think that that was the hardest case that he ever investigated, and on some level, certainly. But there are others that impacted him very differently. I remember when our son was little, he investigated a case that involved an 18-month-old. There are cases that truly changed him. As strong and honorable as my husband is, he is also sentimental and loving. His heart is always in the right place, and he always does the right thing always. I wanted to share that because I know that there are many first responders that are changed from something that they experienced in their job. And sometimes it can affect you when you don't even realize it. You know, my husband and I are very different people. He copes internally, privately. He's not a talker. For me, I I like to talk about things. I've been going to therapy my entire adult life never for a quick fix, always as part of my foundation. But the aftermath of a career in law enforcement and first responder can have a slow dripping impact. It's almost like you're climbing a mountain and each leg of the journey carries its own obstacles, right? You know, when when you're in the middle of heat, you drink water, cold, you put on gloves, you adjust to your environment, your climate. It's funny, if, if you would have shared all that would have happened in my husband's career at this point, I clearly wouldn't have believed you kind of like my own career, but in a very different way. Over the years, he has in some ways grown more distant, but has also grown more sentimental, if that makes sense. I now understand that part of his distance was to protect us, but I didn't always see it that way. I've now learned to give him his space when I feel that it's needed. I don't know if this is normal. I'm sure that some may not approach things this way, but but really what is normal? This is simply our life. Looking back, I'm sure that we could have done better, asked for more support, shared more of our struggles, but as we're going through it, how would I have known? I remember so many times as a call out would occur thinking, we can do this. We're good. We're going to be good. Then off he went out into the night. 
investigating scenes that many could not begin to imagine. He protected us from all of it. He said very little. He carried on without a complaint. Often I held my breath without a word until the garage door closed and I'd simply fall to pieces. Our son never truly understanding the burdens that we both held. I always believed in my heart that we were meant to be in this place of service. Every part of our lives brought us here. Even the fact that I'm sharing this, I know is for a reason. We've been through some dark times, quiet times, lonely times. I've always understood this life and and I know that it's not for everyone. You know, some have asked me how I do it, how we do it. And sometimes, honestly, I'm not sure. We just do. And I know that we're meant to be here. But over the years in this law enforcement life, with all that had been happening in our world, our country, our state, my husband was getting quieter, more reflective, never complained. He would just go where he was needed, every call out, every incident, every funeral. Off he went and continued to get quieter and quieter. And I noticed, but I stayed back a little. Every now and then I'd make a comment, ask how he was doing, and I I felt the energy. He wasn't ready. It may seem odd, but I understood. You know, I was still worried. I mean, obviously there were some really big cases that he had to deal with, but I just took, took a few steps back. You know, my husband's been an athlete his entire life and goodness, I, I lost count of the number of marathons, half marathons and, you know, other endurance events that we've been part of. You know, he even rode his bike up Mount Washington years ago and he qualified as an elite cyclist. <laughs> Did I mention that we balance each other out really well? But running was always something that brought him peace. But after time and really just the amount of overusage, he wasn't able to endure the miles that he used to. And I think at some point he really needed to dig deep to find places to bring him peace. And I think for him, it took a lot of self-reflection and discipline and, you know, two things that I, I know he's already incredible at. But as our life continued with work and school and family commitments and vacations and Life simply happening. Mark started reading a lot. <laughs> he started reading a lot of really random books, books that, quite frankly, I didn't understand. You know, I joke around. And I say his vocabulary is insane. I mean, there are times when he'll say something, and I just look at him and I'll say, "I don't know what that word means. You need to explain it to me." You know, but he was ordering these books, like smart books. You know, books of poetry, books on leadership. You know, books that obviously I knew were very meaningful to him. He also started pulling out his guitar more, which I loved. He, you know, even he also started a program at a therapeutic equestrian farm for veterans, something that we thought would be a nice bonding experience for the for him and my son. But it ended up being one of the most transformative experience for my husband working with horses. He now volunteers every weekend. You know, watching him go through these changes, it was pretty amazing. And I can tell in his quiet way, he was finding ways to cope with the stresses of his job. Something that many of you may not understand about introverts. You know, they, they really don't like small talk. And while my husband and I have enjoyed incredible conversations, one of the things that I've learned as he's risen through the ranks in his career, when he gets home, I need to give him some time to recharge his batteries. Sometimes that takes more time than we have together. And While some might disagree, I'm willing to sacrifice our time together so that he's able to do what he needs to do. Do I get resentful? Absolutely. But I get it. 
And I thank God for my friends and family that have also carried the burden of my emotions through these years. Now, in the middle of all of this, we began to go through the COVID pandemic and obviously the civil unrest that was taking shape across our country. We went through a time that he would come home from work, grab his guitar, and just go sit out on the porch and play. I would sit out there with him, and it was amazing. It was actually one of the best parts of my day. I, you know, I, I would look to the time, you know, he'd come home, he'd grab the guitar, go out on the porch, and I would just head out there and sit with him quietly. I actually look forward to the warmer weather so that we can get back out there. But one day, my husband just handed me a piece of paper, and it, it looked like a poem, but he said nothing. I sat down, and I read the words, and I suddenly realized that it was describing what went through the mind of a first responder at a crime scene. I literally imagined my husband in the poem I was reading, but instead of death and darkness, it felt vivid and calming. In his words, I felt peace and I felt a sense of healing, if that even makes sense. But more importantly, I imagined someone else in a similar role might feel if anything understood or validated, solidarity, heard. Reading his words made me realize that he was processing his memories in such a way that might provide closure, not only to him, but to those who have been through similar experiences. Every case these men and women respond to has the potential to stay with them. He was coping. I was so moved. Honestly, in some ways I was moved to tears. And from then on, something was unleashed in him. He began to sit quietly on his phone and I would know he was writing. Often without words, he would just hand me a new piece of paper. And again, the words would leave me speechless. I, you know, I often say about introverts, they don't say much, but what they do say, you better damn well listen because it's important. You know, I wanted to share more of his writings with you. These words that are meaningful, not only to my husband, myself, and our first responder community, but these words helped me feel less alone. You know, I would gather some of you can and will relate to them. And if not directly, if you know of someone that is within a first responder family, this might provide an insight into their world. So like I said, I'm going to be wrestling some papers because I have his book in front of me. I'd like to read a few of his poems. This one is The Spouse. And obviously, I'm a spouse. But when I read this, I have to say, he's never talked to me about this stuff. You know, I, I just, when I, when I read it, I thought, there's a part of me that almost wanted to be like, why didn't you ever say any of this stuff to me? But as I said before, everyone copes differently. So this is called The Spouse, and this is in his book. I am not a police officer could never do what my spouse does. I've told him. He runs toward danger. I run away. I am a law enforcement spouse. This is our life. I have tried to explain it to others, but it's hard to understand. If you don't care or don't want to hear or are safe inside your own sponge, only emerging when squeezed. It's curious that those who willingly serve and advocate empathy issued in self-cleansing sized portions to other groups, refuse to consider our community, their selectivity, betraying their bias and foundational hypocrisy. I listen to epistemic claims, unearned and pilfered from headlines du jour. Usually I bite my tongue, 
alternate opinions heretic in your shelter. I'm sorry if my facts get in the way of your bullshit. My first Mother's Day, my husband left me alone with our nine-month-old. He was gone all day and night. Then the whole next week, a mother disappeared. She was murdered, located 10 days later. The rest of the details, I don't know. Lots of details, I don't know. And don't care to. There are hundreds of scenes. Usually he comes home from scenes at five or six in the morning, out all night, exhausted after sleeping, kind of. He would sit on the couch saying little. I would see he was processing, feel him sifting through whatever he had experienced. I wait to talk, realize that now is not the best time for frivolity, intrusion, or asking for his socks to be picked up off the floor. Sometimes I can see the hurt and sadness. He's detached somewhere else in his head, hoping. I've watched him change, become hardened, less playful, distant to a degree. It's hard on me and our son, but this is our life. He has been on call for 12 years, which means I am also on call. Anxious when the phone rings, knowing the result. If we're out, he has to leave. We all go. We started taking separate cars. I worry when he leaves, often restless until I hear the door sliding open at whatever hour. Hear the Velcro tear from the bulletproof vest. The cartridge eject from his gun. Reminders of the dangerous game being played. Others share equal and greater burdens. I crumple inside at how these men and women are portrayed by some and the animus generated by few. It makes me sad and angry. I'm proud of our family, our community, at peace with the sacrifices made, knowing what is being given and what's been taken. I will feel relief when we are done and the shield will be carried by others but for now, this is our life. I have to admit, when I read this for the first time, I was utterly at a loss for words. He never said these words to me. Upon reading this poem, all of the resentment, the frustration, and the loneliness that I felt over the years just simply melted away. You know, he is such an incredible man, and he's just so quiet. <laughs> you know, anybody that knows him knows that that's who he is. But when he found this outlet, it truly unleashed something that has become beautiful. And I think one of the reasons why I want to share this with all of you is because everyone has their own outlet. You know, everyone finds their way to cope. I know for me, it's behavioral therapy, it's running, talking, you know, I'm a talker, obviously, but this has been amazing. Now, the next one that I want to share with you is the foundation of this book. And anyone that has experienced firsthand the anti-police climate over the last few years, this was the one that left me feeling that his words truly needed to be heard. Um, you know, this, this book has been around and the fact that he's willing to let me share this with all of you, I think you realize that this can help so many people when you hear these words. So this next poem is the title of his book, Another Side of Accountability. I am the overwhelming majority of law enforcement. I speak with our voice. See, I am not perfect. I am human. Know when you call, I answer. I am at your accidents, your deaths, your overdoses, your domestic issues, 
your neighbor disputes, your medical emergencies, your lost children, your broken mailboxes, your murders, your rapes, your robberies, and myriad others, the catastrophic to the indistinct. I react to calls for service and behavior, not class, color, creed, or condition. I am favored by fortune for now. Not killed or physically broken at the hands of violence or accident. Yet I wonder, when I leave for shift, saying goodbye to my son and wife, if I will see them again. I am not religious, but I ritually pray. Before I walk out the door, for me and for you. Strength, health, compassion, accuracy, perseverance, leadership, integrity, morality, discipline, action, judgment, empathy. I have witnessed humanity's ability to self-inflict devastation, the indiscriminate invasion of continuum and community. As a result, I don't judge and I don't make assumptions. Gifts that keep on giving. I have seen the blood of children more than once. I have photographed a baby who was swung against a wall because he cried. I held my son in my arms at his baptism, six hours after digging a murder victim out of the ground with my hands in a trowel. I have a picture of me holding him in church. When I look at it, I think of death. I watched children sing at a kindergarten recital after standing in the blood of a suicide victim. I was still in the same clothes. I talked to the father of a murdered son every week for a year. He said I saved his life. I can't sit in a hot car anymore. A baby was left behind for eight hours in July. He died. I imagine how that felt. Experiences lay dormant, waiting for a flicker in their web, tingling them awake to resurface unseen Proustian triggers. Hear the sounds that transform the abstract, the rip of Velcro securing my bulletproof vest, evokes a visceral reaction from my wife. Slide catapulting forward, gun rattling against the holster, generates hope that I come home. I have been on call for 12 years. When my phone rings, Plavovian anxiety. I answer it day or night, leave without complaint because you are calling. Sometimes I cry for no reason on TV. I can't watch violence. I have seen enough. Resilience, my protagonist. I don't ask for praise, but I don't deserve vilification. I won't ask for quarter and I won't quit on you. I know you need me. My story is not unique. We all share equivalent experiences, separate forms, same function. I am proud of what I do. I don't need to wonder if I made a difference. I am a police officer. I know I have. And tomorrow, I will do it again. That is another side of accountability. This next one truly left me speechless. This one he wrote for our son. My dichotomy, a quiet park, morning freshly hatched. The kind of day that you think it feels like spring. The air has changed, crossed over, cool, blended with hints of warmth that linger longer than they should. If they were a hug between friends. It smells like clothes fresh from the dryer, the fragrant sweat of the exertion, of perennials liberating themselves from hibernation, soggy soil turning out for muster, bird symphony in full swing accompanied by the brook, turgid and alive. He's seven. We walk in silence, holding hands. After, we get ice cream. 
I like to watch him contemplating the chocolate sphere, licking drips before they form and flow. It's a secret I keep the comfort from this. The swing set, it faces the barn and the bunny hutch. Residents gentle and soft, flexible rubber, seats suspended by chains. There are twin chairs. Want a swing? Yes, he nods, and we go. He can't do it yet, so I push. I miss that, regret the times I felt tiresome. I drive him forward, find the rhythm, let physics take control. Higher each repetition until the chimes start to buckle. We are silent. I watch him smile, the blur and force of circular motion. A man and a girl, she my son's age, chatting rapidly. Next to us, the same ritual. She laughs at each apex, musical and untarnished, anticipating the descent. The man begins a recitation. It's Stevenson, I now know. Up in the air, so blue. The swing. He completes it, magnificent, resplendent, in pithy synchronization with the burgeoning spring. How does he know this, I wonder? Exhale from my nose, a small, forceful burst. Make it closed-lipped grunt. The kind you make when you feel contrary. It passes unnoticed. The possession of unburdened joy stirs unspoken regret. Or is it jealousy? The vernal rebirth and laughter and prose leave me exposed. Usher other secrets I won't tell. Can't. Why strip you of feelings you're still capable of owning? Free from patina, shiny, polished bronze. My recitation, not Stevenson, but the blood of children. 20. Yes, that's right. Same age as the duet swinging. Have you ever stood in the bathroom of a child's classroom? It's small, a closet, really. Wriggle in 15 friends, door won't close. I stare at their blood, the patterns talking. Look away, small backpacks on hooks. Keychain silent, waiting to be claimed. Did you know they laughed before it happened? Packed in tight, climbing for space. The toilet flushed. It's funny, of course, not knowing. Laughter, same as here. 16 times over, echoing. Teacher intently shushing, then terrible silence. These haunting, secret echoes, a loon's lament, a sundry collection like a boy's pockets after a summer day of adventure. Only these possessions aren't treasures. It's Judy that called and continues to ring. Dinner bell on the farm, Clancy of the mounted police. Accountability has many forms. The swinging done, they depart. Awash with spring and the sanctity of the unaware. I wonder what it would be like to feel again. Let's go get ice cream. With so much uncertainty in our world today, trying to grasp what someone else might be going through with empathy and compassion is all we can ask for, no? Knowing that my husband wrote that poem for our son, it helped me understand the distance that he's had over the years and the hope that I feel. You know, my son is 12 now and their relationship is amazing. And it just makes sense now. But it was hard. It was really hard. Some of these poems, while graphic and powerful, they brought me to a healing place with my husband's perspective. Over the years, I've often wondered how he coped 
as much as I can say that I know what to do with my own counseling background, I knew in my heart that this was a path that he needed to figure out in his own way. And as I mentioned earlier, my husband is not a talker. You know, no amount of therapy is going to help him with the darkness that he has witnessed. And trauma is not one size fits all. I recognize that my tolerance is very different than my husband's. The reality is his training as a Marine has provided him a foundation that many could never comprehend. And not every first responder processes their environment the same way. And not every first responder has healed. There are thousands of first responders living with PTSD and other struggles due to the darkness and evil that they encounter and the stresses of the unknown. This this next poem, it's actually called Who Wants to Go Down the Stairs? And, you know, I think about the way that my husband writes and, you know, a lot of times he's very protective of his, um, of his staff, of his troopers, of, you know, the people that he leads. He's very respectful of, you know, what they go through. And, you know, I'd asked him when, when I read this, I said, is this something you went through? And he said, no, it's like, this is something that many first responders go through. So, you know, when, when I think of what his writings are, it's not only about his healing, it's about him providing a voice to so many that don't feel heard. So this one is called who wants to go down the stairs. Police officers make too much money. He said, parroted opinion to a tangential narrative gobbled up and filed away, coiled like a snake, set to strike when the time is right. It's likely another reporter's progeny, scratching out existence by swatting at low-hanging fruit. Three pitches at the morning meeting, see what sticks, there, my own intuition at work. The declarative delivered, cavalierly in the citadel of a barbecue, rooks armored by a dripping burger and a plate of baked beans. Really? Too much money? Context, like milk permeating, sugar cereal makes ideals soggy. Well, you rang the bell. Last week, I left home for work, boys to school, wife to her own job. Dinner tonight, hopefully as usual. After the Little League game, afternoon on patrol, routine. 60 clicks of the clock remain. The radio tones, loud alternating notes, intentional meant for attention because the voice that follows will possess an emergency, stomachs not, and chests get tight. Delivery through even tones, without effect. Shooter barricaded in basement. Officer down, TAC team members respond. You know the TAC team is SWAT, who the police call when they need the police. The day's direction altered, race to scene, dress, vest, ballistic armor, helmet, rifle, a familiar drill. Get briefed, officer dead in basement, responding to a disturbance. He's there, basement floor, no life. Subject standing guard, rifle, vest, knows the drill, sniper perched. The negotiations start and the wait begins. Leaving time to think, absent progression. The conversation stops. Gas is dropped a lot. Clear air turns turbid. Team braces for the choking change, up the stairs, but the clock ticks. Well past the arrival time, clearing smoke, revealing. He's still there, gas mask on, guarding the lair. The brass discuss options, which dwindle to the last tactical assault. Team of four, of the four, I am one. 
The only way down is the stairwell of 13 steps into a funnel where they teach you not to go. Think he will give up? Orders come for prep. I dial the phone, three rings, my wife's voice on the answering machine. I speak. Hey, honey, just calling to say I love you. Please tell the boys. I love them too. Have to go. Did my voice quiver? End of call. Now in the stack, standing at the top of the stairs, waiting for the tap of the thigh, heart pounding. Know what's coming next. Still thinking about how much money we make. How much would it take to trade places with me? Well, fine. Someone has to go down the stairs. (sighs) My husband never served on a SWAT team. And I'm thankful for that. You know, when I read that poem, I still get choked up and he never had to go through that. But I know many that do. This is a life. This is not a job. And this is something that affects people every single day. So why am I sharing this? To provide hope, to provide insight for our first responder families to know that they are not alone and that there are so many resources available to help our loved ones heal through some of the darkest moments that they encounter. You know, someone once said to me, they signed up for this. Well, yes, yes, they did. And I thank God every day for these incredible men and women who sacrifice more than we could ever imagine so that we may sleep peacefully at night. And for those families whose loved ones suffered unimaginable loss through addiction, anxiety, depression, may God bless them. Bless them all and protect their families as they continue to cope with their own losses. These journeys are very personal. And with our current climate on center stage, it only adds to the stress for all in this world. I'd like to share two other poems that are not law enforcement related, but you know, obviously part of this episode is talking about how to cope, how to find ways to cope with the stresses of this job, of this career. And, you know, obviously we are in the end of March right now. This episode is probably going to air sometime in April, you know, with everything that's going on in our world right now. We have a 12 year old son. Obviously I talk about him a lot, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was having a bad day and, you know, it was in February and, you know, I I can't remember what it was something about. It might've been literally just been that he did not like the pizza that I ordered. And, you know, he was upset about it. And at one point my husband just made a comment and he was like, well, at least he's not in Ukraine, you know? And and that really hit me because it just made me think about my husband and being a Marine and just everything that he was probably processing with everything that's going on in the world. So, that night he handed me this poem and it's literally just titled February 23rd. And I just thought I'd read this to you because again, I just, you know, when, when things get stressful, he has now turned to writing and it's beautiful. And the things that he comes up with are just incredible for any of you out there that really enjoy writing. You never know where it might take you. So this is called February 23rd. I am 12 years old in transition from childhood horizons and interests expanding and transforming. I shoot baskets in the dark. Impact of the ball on driveway pavement echoes off the garage, bounces into the dark. Low-slung moonlight streaks endlessly across the eastern Connecticut sky. I have a game Saturday. Inside, earphones bring me the sounds of Fortnite and my friends' voices. Tomorrow, 
we will explore another day in school. My innocence is slowly molting, the way a snake peels its old skin off on a rock. I fall asleep safe and in comfort, my tomorrow assured, stuffed animals shelved now but accessible. I am 12 years old, in transition from childhood, horizons and interests expanding and transforming. I shoot baskets in the dark. Impact of the ball on the driveway pavement echoes off the garage, bounces into the dark. A Russian fighter jet streaks across the eastern Ukrainian sky, engines ripping aghast in the air. My ball rolls quietly away as I look up, follow the plane westward, a low crumple, cascades east and dances through the neighborhood. The ground shrugs lightly. Lights on the street go out. Harsh sirens wail in town, voices silent for 70 years, remembering lamentations lingering from the past. Tomorrow I won't have school. Tanks and foreign soldiers will occupy the town, sinister and not welcome. Inside candles are lit, parents stayed with deliberate. War will shear my innocence like a sheep donating its coat. Stuffed animals removed from shelves, held tight. I fall asleep scared. My tomorrow uncertain. I am 12 years old. <clears throat> when he gave me this poem, I just thought, you know, it, I, I, I often think, you know, what, what is, what's going through his mind as a Marine? And again, he's processing and he's coping. And this is how he finds a way to cope with the stresses in the world. The last one I want to read to you is called On Saturdays with Indy. And this is something that has truly been transformative for him. You know, I mentioned before that he's been volunteering at an equestrian farm that provides um, programs for veterans and children. And it, it's just an incredible place, Shepherd Meadows in Bristol, Connecticut. Something that I found with my husband, again, is he is not a man of many words, but he is someone that when he can find a way to cope with something, he goes all in. You know, we, we've always been a family of volunteer. You know, we, we volunteer. That's that's what we do. And, and this is something that I know that as much as he gets out of it, I'm sure that they get a lot out of him volunteering there. So this is called On Saturdays with Indy. I feel it wash over me, excited anticipation, released by the fragrance of windstripped layers of hay and manure, angled over the fence, covering me as I walk through the grass at the farm where I volunteer and take lessons. Here, interaction with acutely sentient souls delivers a source of satisfaction and comfort. They display, through senses and actions, lessons and behaviors our parents imparted and sometimes scolded. My partner, 1,100 pounds, smooth, Deep brown coat in summer, tangled with rust in the winter, long flowing forelock that whips when he runs. He raced carts at a track, now retired, cared for and carefree in his pasture, present, dominant, and regal, and alternatively, at times, funny and fastidious. I lead him for a lesson, a quiet little peanut perched on his back, requesting a in a tiny voice that he walk on and woe, which he does, gentlemanly and obedient, mostly. I'm connected to him with a lead rope, but we both know that's just a physical representation of reality. Our bond is spiritual, transcends the surface. I can tell he knows that I need him, and I still hugs when we're alone, feel his acceptance, tranquility flowing through me as I stroke his neck and shoulder. I love this time, disconnected from other things, some not pleasant, and from other pressures, some self-imposed. I care for his coat and his hooves and his needs. Take my time, absorb the enjoyment, harnessing happiness for insulation. 
I lead him from the barn. He lopes at my shoulder, always tries to steal some grass, which makes me laugh. Sometimes I don't resist, giving back a little in return for his gifts. In the pasture, harness off, he bolts, majestic, long strides devouring space, leaving me, for now, content and fulfilled. I don't know about you, but that's beautiful. You know, I mean, maybe I maybe I feel that way more because it's my husband writing it, but you know, he's a brilliant man. And when I think of his career in law enforcement and all that he's experienced, the fact that he has been able to find these areas to provide him peace has been amazing. Whether it's writing, music, and just sitting in silence sometimes, that's what he has found has helped him. They have families, they have friends, they have loved ones that they go home to. It is hard at times to turn it off and finding ways to cope looks different for everyone. As a loved one of a first responder with a background in counseling, I'll tell you, it's not easy. Sometimes we need to fight for them and fighting for them sometimes looks like taking a step back and letting them be who they're meant to be. I'm going to go out on a limb and acknowledge that every first responder has struggled with PTSD at some point in their career, but so have their families. And that struggle looks different for everyone. Just as we all cope differently with our own lives, finding what works for your loved one takes time and determination. Don't give up on them. But realize that for some, their healing may result in moving on to a different journey. There are so many different levels on the spectrum, and it it has everything to do with each individual person, their life, their life experiences, their personality, their way of coping, their support system, their level of trauma. Maybe my perspective was meant to bring me here, to to expect any first responder not to be impacted by what they experienced would be to expect them to not feel, not to be human. I want to thank all of you for holding space with me today. I know some of this might've been a little intense. I'm going to be adding a number of resources to our show notes with resources that, you know, for first responders, for their families, as well as a link to my husband's book of poetry that can actually be found on Amazon. If anyone is interested, I do have a big ask aside from sharing this episode with anyone that you know, that's in a first responder family. If you know someone that serves as a first responder, if they have a family, let them know you're thinking about them. Check in on them. There are times that the burdens that they hold are simply unimaginable. I will tell you as a police wife for over 16 years, almost 17, this current climate has been hard, not only on our officers, not only on the partners, on their spouses, but more importantly, on their children. I ask that you hold space most importantly for them. Thank you for listening. I appreciate all of you. And I appreciate you holding the space with me today. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media. To stay up to date on upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Instagram at Unpacking Perspectives and on Facebook at Unpacking Perspectives Podcast. Additionally, don't forget to visit my website at nmdcareers.com for more information about the podcast and my private practice. If you or someone you know needs support with any aspect of career exploration 
or transition as a career counselor and board certified career coach. I'm available for one-on-one coaching sessions, group coaching, online workshops, and guest speaking events. Feel free to reach out with any questions, book a call, or even be a guest on our podcast. Thanks again, everyone. Don't forget, if you spend too much time thinking about the final destination, you might miss experiencing the journey. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Perspectives. Until next time.